The Athletic. This is the best club in the world. Don't care what other people do. It's Dobbin Kelleher. It's his glory night again in this competition. So a penalty shootout win in the League Cup took minds off a much bigger talking point for a couple of hours. The possible sale of Liverpool Football Club. Jürgen insists he's as committed as ever, but what does the future hold? We'll look at that. Corvin Kelleher's heroics, a must-win match against Southampton and Milner's 600th top-flight appearance. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of the articles on Liverpool, everything on the site. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod for a pound a month for six months, a special price right now. You can subscribe a pound a month for six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hobbersall and of course it was a match that was completely overshadowed by the main talking point, the potential sale of Liverpool Football Club. We'll talk about that with Andy Jones and writer uh, David Lynch. But we'll, we'll talk about the football first of all. And of course Liverpool won this competition on penalties back in May in a thrilling shootout. Again, Andy, they took it to the wire at the first round this time round. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, it's just all about the drama, isn't it? Why not? On such a dramatic week, I guess. It almost felt just the, the the right way to go about it. But yeah, no, it was a it was a, it was an interesting game because I think, you know, Derby came and sort of set their intentions out pretty early that they were sort of playing for that or at least looking to to maybe nick something sort of later on in the game. Liverpool, you know, with a very, very young team, you know, it looked like that at times and, and they were trying to find the way around things and and sort of try and find those connections and those understandings so it wasn't necessarily a surprise I think but then yeah why, why not why not take it to penalties in, in this competition which is uh, saved Liverpool really well with, with penalty shootouts for you know over the last few years it has felt like a bit of a weird week David hasn't it in in many aspects of course the conversation hasn't really been about the football well, that's it. The, the the game sort of felt like a, a little bit of an afterthought because of the, the you know the big themes that've been going around this week and and yeah you know something that that could have a huge ramification on on how Liverpool functions as a club going forward. Um, so this game sort of sort of snuck up a little bit, and then you make all the changes as well. So it's not you know not quite the first team out there as well. So a little bit of a weird atmosphere out there around it really. But you know in the end, quite an entertaining game, and and I thought you know loads of positives from Liverpool in terms of how the youngsters did as well and you know and, and to get through on penalties in, in, in a dramatic fashion is, is you know something to really enjoy all the time anyway so it's um, yeah lo- loads of positives from it and I think you know Jürgen put a little bit of a, a, a cap really didn't he on the, the talk around the, the ownership situation from his perspective as well in the press conference so that was that was good to sort of put that to one side as well so a sort of a positive night overall really. Penalty shootout, you never forget them. Kovin Kelleher, I mean, this boy is made for penalties. The hero, again, his record's amazing. He's played, what, eight League Cup games. Four of them have gone to pens. And every time, Andy, he stands up and does the business. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's reliable, isn't he? And, and that's what you want. You can't really ask much more from, from your goalkeeper because it's one of them things, isn't it, is that, you know, you expect the you know the, whoever's taking a penalty to score because it's... You know, it's it's it is such a difficult art penalty saving, and that's why, you know, even the best keepers struggle at times. Um, but yeah, he's become so reliable. I think it was six penalty 
saves in a penalty shootout now, which is a club record, which is quite incredible when you consider that you know it's only eight games he's he's been involved in and he's set that. So yeah, it's, it's just really impressive. And I think what what was the most impressive thing was they weren't you know those the three penalties he saves they weren't easy. You know the the last two especially. You know they they're right in the corner. They they're top top saves. That's the sign of such a, a you know a top level goalkeeper. When even when the penalties are going towards the corner and you think oh that one's in, you know he's still there to, to stretch his hand out and, and tip it wide or or stop it from going in. And that was the most impressive thing. It was it was you know the, the penalties that he did save. They they weren't just like straight at him or you know lack of pace and those type of penalties. They were well hit and you know going into places where not not all keepers would would save it if if they weren't as quick as he is in, in terms of making his decision, making his mind up and, and guessing the right way and, and sort of where can, where can the opposition uh, take it out. So calm, so composed. That was actually his first senior start this season, David. Yeah, and I mean, is it is it his first start since the League Cup final? Is that right? Yeah, I, possibly. And I, I, you know, on the on the penalty thing, I, I think it was it was put to Jurgen in the press conference after the match that you know he's, he saved six penalties in, in shootouts now, which is more than any Liverpool goalkeeper ever. Which just shows you how good he's been in these situations. And I also think it's worth noting that you know you start to look at Allison's record in penalty shootouts. He's pretty good as well, which suggests that Liverpool are doing some really good things behind the scenes in terms of the preparation around penalty shootouts in in cup situations. And you know we know that John Acterberg, the goalkeeping coach, is a he's a goalkeeping obsessive, and he's really good in preparation for things like this. He'll know exactly which way every penalty taker will go, and and will be able to prepare the goalkeepers with that information and. And it's really helpful because, you know, you look at Liverpool picking up the two domestic cups last season. They've started this one off with a win in a penalty shootout. They, they, they get, you know, they're keeping up that record that they've always had in the past, really, in terms of being really good in shootout situations. And, and that all goes down to, yes, the quality of goalkeepers. And, and they've got two extremely good ones. But, you know, Jürgen Klopp has called Kelleher the best backup goalkeeper in the world before. But also the, the preparation and the work that goes into it. It's, it's testament to all of that, really. Yeah, brilliant end to the game, wasn't it? Although at the start of the penalty shootout, Bacetic's uh, miss. You're thinking, oh my god, he's been given the he's been given the first pen here, which which surprised me to be honest. I thought the Ox might have had that, Andy. Yeah, well, well, Ox was getting a bit of treatment, I think, when in between the full time and, and penalties. So I don't know whether that played a role, but I was surprised that you know such a young lad was given sort of that responsibility, I guess, to to go first. And I mean. Quite frankly, the keeper's nearly on his, on his toes when he takes it. He's that far <laughs> off the line. It was um, I couldn't quite believe that it wasn't sort of pulled up. And I think I think he might have been spoken to before the second penalty. But I mean, what what's the point of that? Like, it doesn't really make much sense that one. But um, yeah, so you know, there was a bit of disadvantage with that. But but you know, I mean, fair play to him for for putting his hand up and, and I guess wanting to take that first penalty. And you know, because that's. In front of the Derby fans, which couldn't have been easy, um, and they they were trying the best to to put him off uh, or put everyone off. You know, for for someone that young who's you know he's not played, you know, only been around the first team this this season and, and not played loads of loads of, of first team footy. You know, off the back of what I thought was a, a really positive performance from him as well. You know, to to step up and and sort of have the bottle, I guess, to to go first was was just impressive and shows the mentality of. Of, of the players that you know that they're bringing through that you know they're not scared that they're happy to take on those big occasions and that that's what you want because that's one of the key things that makes players go from that academy level to, to the first team to be able to, to sort of handle those situations okay he doesn't score the penalty but 
Um, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> big, big moments for these young lads, aren't they? I mean, Pep spoke ahead of the game about the competition being a, a platform, an opportunity for young talent. We saw a number of them making their full debuts. So Calvin Ramsey, uh, Stefan Bacetic, who we mentioned, uh, Malcolm Frauendorf, Bobby Clark, Le- Leighton Stewart. And we saw 16-year-old Ben Doak come on. For, for me, he, he was the one who really made an impression on the night. David? Yeah, re- really exciting. I think you know we've seen a lot of that from him in in the sort of in the academy this season. Is he, he just he just plays in that exact same way? You know, he, he runs at people. He's one of the things I really like about him is that he's very comfortable on both feet, which gives him the opportunity to go on the inside or the out, and that you know really makes him dangerous. And and the fact that he's obviously he's quite clearly a very brave player. He wasn't scared about coming up against these men that Derby had in their team and and trying to take them on. And you know his first act was to to go on the outside of someone in the, at the cop end, wasn't it? And he, he shanked his shot in the end, but it just just showed what he's all about, really, and just a really exciting player to watch and. But, you know, all, all of the youngsters, you know, really encouraging. I think that's one of the main reasons as well you wanted to see Liverpool go through is that this this tournament is is really important in terms of blooding those youngsters. It, it's difficult to do that in Premier League or Champions League situations unless you're, you know, you, you, you're fortunate enough to find yourself 5-0 up and you can bring on substitutes late in the game. To, to be able to give the, these these young players a, you know, proper taste of senior football is really important for their development and really important in terms of making them you know members of the first team squad and making them feel part of it so yeah some really really encouraging performances and I did want to mention actually Calvin Ramsey I think one of the things that most stood out to me about him is that yes he's part of that group of young players and he's a, he's a new signing coming in but he, he really looked to me physically like a like a man he has clearly played a lot of senior football and he's he's completely used to the the physical challenges that are surrounded which which suggests to me that he's you know he's ready for sort of semi-regular involvement now which is which is a good thing in terms of if you ever need to give Trent Alexander-Arnold a rest on that that right back position the competition is still really important to Liverpool isn't it I suppose maybe a big difference from last season, Andy, is that there's no Divock, there's no there's no Minamino, those let's say mid-level players, but experienced players that actually you can count on. Relying. I think Minamino was the top scorer, wasn't he? By the time we got to the end of the, the competition, yeah, I think so, and I think that it showed sort of last night in terms of I think if you had a a Rigi or a Minamino up front, you probably would have won that game one or two nil, and you wouldn't have probably need the penalties. But I think you know where you have such a, a young you know, front six, I guess, and, and they're, sort of, they're all sort of, you know, trying to work things out. And it was only sort of Oxley Chamberlain who was, who was sort of the senior, was the senior member of that. Because, um, you know, Carvalho is, even though he's a first team squad player, you know, he's, he's just, he's about the same age as, as the rest of them. So, and, and st- is still sort of, you know, continuing to, to find his feet and, and stuff like that. So you can see the difference in that, I think. As 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 we did last season, in that Liverpool, you know, were able to beat your Norwiches, your your Prestons through the goals of of someone like uh, Minamino and, and Leighton Stewart. Obviously, gets that really good chance first half and doesn't quite take it. But it did feel like it was it took until the second half when Liverpool sort of began to bring on the more senior players. And Firmino, I thought was a, a big difference. Elliot as well, um, when they began to really start creating those those proper chances and and the derby keeper made a, a couple of really good saves. So I think that is that that's the difference is you can't call on those sort of as you say those sort of I guess the squad players the fringe players who you know will will come in and do a job and I guess that's the next challenge but it also by not having them gives more opportunities because you know if if you had a a Rigi or Minamino you wouldn't have probably seen Leighton Stewart you may not have seen Frandorf in a way it's 
there's there's the benefits of it and that you get more young you know you get more youngsters on the pitch and you're giving them more responsibility which is what you want but also you know you might find yourself in in penalty shootouts because you can't quite make the difference during the game because you haven't got those proven goal scorers at the top level who who are able to you know get past the the derby defence and, and be able to manipulate it a bit better. Is is the future pretty bright, David? On on that level, that sort of age group of players. Yeah, I think you know the, this academy's got a track record of providing players who are good enough for the Liverpool first team in recent years. So I, I see no reason why you know this this big bunch of talented players they've got coming through at the moment shouldn't make the grade. I mean, Pep Linders described by Chesich in particular, didn't he? As a you know, sometimes you get a present from the academy, and and he's one of them. So that's he's a player they clearly have high hopes around. I think everyone could see last night. You know the, the the talent that Ben Doak possesses. I thought Bobby Clark was really, really impressive. And you know, there's a, there's a slew of youngsters really coming through who've all got a chance now. It's you know it's huge to make that step up. It's very very difficult. We know this, but Liverpool have consistently done it. And and you know a few of these talents have been brought in in an, an age where they already know that they you know they they look like they could make it to the Premier League level. They look like they could make that step up. And yeah, I think I think you've got a coach there who'll give them opportunities as well, which is a massive thing. So, yeah, it's it's really exciting, and you know, it's not all about saving money, but it's also nice to to bring players to from the academy as well, and and to have them come into the first team. So it's it's exciting, and I think I think fans will relish watching these players coming through as well. It's you know that's one of the great things we like about football is seeing a young player come in and make an impact at senior level. So it's yeah, I think the future is bright. Right, of course, I mentioned at the top that the game was pretty much overshadowed by the, the conversation and the, the talking point being the potential sell of the football club or potential investors. I, th- I still don't think we're 100% clear on this. I mean, I'm sure things will emerge in the coming weeks. It was a story broken by David Ornstein of The Athletic and obviously it's gathered a bit of pace. Andy, ahead of the game, you, you spoke to fans. You, you sort of gauged their view on what might happen. Was there actually surprise or did you get the sense that people felt this was something that had been in the offing? Everyone I spoke to was, was pretty surprised, yeah. I think if you take a step back and you probably look at it generally and, and sort of where the club are at, where FC, FSG have taken them, what they've achieved, what they've done, what the value of Liverpool is compared to when they, they came in. I think when you when you take that step back and have a time to think about it, I think it makes sense as to why it might they might feel that they've taken Liverpool as far as they can. But I think what surprised a lot of people is sort of, I guess, why now? What's, they didn't see it as something that was just about to come around the corner. I think that, that was the general feeling. But equally, it was very clear that everyone sort of, that I spoke to sort of agreed that, you know, this this club probably does need more investment or and they certainly wouldn't be against more investment coming in, whether that is via new investors or a new ownership completely. Um, because there is this feeling that as Manchester City and Newcastle, for example, continue to to build and, and use their unlimited funds that, they, that they've got, competing is going to be harder and harder. There's no getting away from that. So the general consensus was that, yes, it was a surprise. A lot thought that FSG generally have been very good owners. Um, obviously, they've had the mistakes, um, which have been well documented, and they've had to come up and apologise on on a number of occasions, but in terms of where they've taken the club, you know, during their time and basically put Liverpool back into that small club of elite European, you know, on the top table, if you like, in terms of where they're competing and what they're competing for. Obviously, this season hasn't gone as planned, but um, the general consensus was that, 
people realise that it feels like more investment is needed from somewhere, whether that is via, you know, someone joining FSG or, you know, and they still, you know, man the ship or whether that is you need to move to, to new owners to, to take Liverpool to the next level and, and continue to, to keep building on, on what has been, you know, an impressive growth under FSG. You, you actually asked about, you know, whether people would be bothered about state ownership as well. I was I was surprised actually that, you know, a few of the answers were no, that'd be fine because it, it would give us the ammunition. Whereas, you know, I think there are two camps on this front. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a really difficult question, isn't it? Because I think and I, there was a fair few who sort of did understand that there is this ethical dilemma, I guess, in terms of that type of ownership. And it's, do you want to, you know, is it, you know, if you can't beat them, join them type thing. It's, I think there's different camps. It's, do you just look at it as solely football and, and just not think about anything else? And I think some people would, would say that that's the way to go about it. Again, you can disagree with that and say, well, what about the sports washing elements and all that type of stuff? All the issues that have been brought up about Manchester City and Newcastle's ownership since since they've come in, how it affects the game, but also you know the way those sort of those countries go about things. If you like, it's how you look at it. And if a state is going to own it, for example, and they're going to invest and put money into the club and improve the infrastructure in the area, which is what Manchester City's owners have done, for example, and and that's one of the sort of the good things that you that they've done, if you like, in terms of improving the area, then I think fans would, would understand that. But equally, you can never get away from the fact that the questions that come with it and the moral and ethical sort of side of it, and it's one of those weird dilemmas and, and people will have different opinions of and, and how they view it and whether it's, well, if it's good for the club, then I'm fine with it. And I think it's it's been the same with Newcastle fans recently. I think it, from reading the you know the articles on The Athletic, for, the, for example, you will speak to some fans who, you know, are just delighted that the football club is back, you know, out of the, out of the hole that Mike Ashley put them in um, and are doing well and, you know, and the investment's coming in, whereas the others can't get on board with the success because of the the overarching issues that come with being state-owned by who've, who've taken them over. So it is it is interesting. I mean, it, it, there was differences of opinions, and but I think generally... The hope is that if someone is to come in and buy Liverpool and become new owners, that they don't, you know, go away from the morals and the, and the, the values of the club and continue to put the fans first. I think that is the that's the key for everyone. David, you made reference to listening to Jurgen's press conference after the game, and and for me, it, it felt like he spoke with sort of a, a calm assurance, almost like he'd been given assurances and he'd had conversations with whoever at FSG. Obviously, the key point of what he was saying was he's committed to the club, whatever, which I thought was a great indication, perhaps, that they'd spoken to him and given him all the, I keep using this word, assurances that he would want. Yeah, you get that impression. I mean, he he is very close to to the the ownership group, particularly through Mike Gordon, who he speaks to on a sort of daily basis. So, you know, I I don't think they're going to be in the position where they want to pull the rug from under his feet. And I I also think, you know, the the most recent sale of a Premier League club we've seen is is Chelsea. and, And we all know the circumstances around that. And that was a fire sale that had to be rushed through. Liverpool's not going to be like that. FSG, yes, they want to sell up, but they've got time to do so. They've got time to find the right buyer, um, you know the right buyer who they think is is good for them in terms of the price they will pay, but also the right buyer in terms of taking Liverpool forward. And, and you know you'd like to think that they see themselves as custodians of the club, and they're not just going to pass the, the the club on to the highest bidder. And I think those are the assurances that that Jurgen Klopp would look for is that you know he's going to be 
supported, but also, you know, the, the club is not going to be run in a completely different way uh, once he gets new ownership in. So, yeah, he seemed he seemed very calm about it. I think I think everyone at Liverpool has to be at the moment as well because it's very much, even though this process is now sort of starting in earnest, it's it's very much for everyone around the club, not just the football staff, but the people who are at Chapel Street and who work in finance and every every single element of the club. They've got to treat it as business as usual at the moment, really, and you know it's 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 very much a wait and see situation. We don't know exactly who's going to come in and express interest, who who the potential buyers are. All that situation is is sort of unfolding as we speak, really, and it's it's going to take quite a bit of time. So, I think yeah, for for Jurgen, for everyone else at, at Liverpool, it's business as usual, and and just and just carry on and, and try and get results, really, and and anything beyond that. I don't think FSG can make any huge promises to him in terms of what comes next yet because I don't think they fully know. But I also think they know that they they, they want to be responsible around the sale and, and hopefully not just sell it to anyone. That's what we want to hear. Let's get a word from the Athletics, uh, Simon Hughes, on all this. Simon's uh, written a piece. You can read it on the, on the site right now. Fascinating look at what it might mean going forward or, you know, whether Liverpool have to follow in the path of a Manchester City. Uh, Sai, why, why do you think the news has broken now? Well, a lot has been made of the timing of this week's developments. You know, lots of speculation about why this news has, has made it into the public domain. I actually think sometimes you've got to give the journalist a little bit of credit. Obviously, David Ornstein has broken the story. And from what I'm told, obviously, FSG... Not entirely happy that the news has got out. Of course, there must be somebody somewhere with a uh, a loose lip and there are always suspicions around why such information will get out when it's obviously quite a delicate situation. I do think it's in FSG's interest, actually, for the for this information to get out to some degree if they want to um, certainly drum up interest in, in the football club. In terms of my own reaction to it and why I think they will... Um, you know they might be well. They are considering this at this time, because obviously we've had it confirmed through the club and through FSG. I think the timing is is quite interesting. Obviously, Liverpool are having a difficult season. Um, Champions League football next season isn't certain. I think FSG realised that that sort of the landscape around football, in terms of the growth around it, is pretty stagnant at the moment. In terms of no European Super League. It's becoming harder, as Jürgen Klopp said recently, to challenge Manchester City. And there's a lot of American interest, particularly in, in, in English football at the moment, um, as we saw with Chelsea uh, over the summer. Lots of interested parties. So this could end up with it being a you know a, a partial investment, a, a considerable invest, investment from another company or, or a full takeover. Obviously, the, the sales deck is, is being has been created by uh, Goldman Sachs, who dealt with the Chelsea takeover. So it, it is... It is different to business as usual. To some extent, FSG have always been at play when it comes to a sale with Liverpool. But um, the enlisting of Goldman Sachs to deal with this, which has been very recent, is a new development. So, yeah, it could be an interesting few months ahead. I don't think there's any further developments just around the corner. But certainly over the next few months, it'll be an interesting story to follow. Mm, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Well, where do you actually see the next owners coming from, Simon? Now, Matt Slater, he wrote an article uh, yesterday about the possibilities around this and he's very well tuned into the, the financial aspect of football and, and takeover. He wrote that, that the Middle East is probably less likely at this moment in time, um, mainly because Bahrain have had a little go at football, needed support from Saudi. Maybe that has stunted the confidence uh, or confidence in that, that, that country. 
Then you've got Saudi itself. You'd have to be pretty ambitious to, to go up against the Saudi state, given the involvement with Newcastle. Then you've got the UAE, where obviously Abu Dhabi is, um, is, is well attached to Manchester City. And Dubai, uh, we've seen Dubai international capital have a go at Liverpool in the past, DIC. I've never been able to get a deal over the line. That was, you know, a long time ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So Matt believes that it's more likely to come from the US, really, for the reasons that I've sort of already mentioned, that that, that obviously there's big interest when Chelsea was sold over the summer. You know, lots of different parties trying to go for that. Very wealthy people uh, who already have an understanding of Goldman Sachs as well. So, yeah, I mean, it it, it could end up being a part, a new partner for FSG who, who get involved at Liverpool. Could be a full takeover at some point. But I'd be more... I wouldn't be surprised if it was America, particularly if it was a some sort of investment to, to join FS, FSG in charge of Liverpool and give the club some new impetus because... Um, I think FSG would want to work with people who who sort of work in a similar business environment to them. Um, it will ultimately come down to money, as it always does. But at this moment in time, yeah, the US seems a more likely bet. Of course, I rightly so. FSG have been scrutinised massively throughout their ownership of the football club, and they've done plenty of brilliant things. There's been problems as well, and they've, they've been criticised at times. Of course, we've talked on this podcast many times about things like the, you know, the failed Super League. But how do you think the FSG era will be regarded? The FSG era, when it ends in cold history, I suspect will be remembered successfully, albeit with a lot of problems. Obviously, they inherited Liverpool at a really low ebb, both financially and in a sporting sense. So they couldn't really do any worse, but um, they did find a quick solution to the stadium issue, which had been long-standing. Anfield is a you know, modern, really modern football ground now, which you know gives Liverpool a sense of permanence in a place where they've always been, which I think is really important. They've obviously hired a world-class manager who's delivered every major trophy, more or less, that the club aspired to win when he took over. That being said, it's been a bumpy ride. They've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of cultural mistakes, which have led to a lack of trust at, at certain points and equally, you know, sort of, I'd say, st- has stunted that progress at certain times, the, the progress that had been made. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say they've been responsible owners of Liverpool. They've, they've got the club on a decent financial footing, but in a strange sort of way, Liverpool are still in... A similar position to what they were in 2003 when Roman Abramovich came and the club agonised over how to basically compete with somebody with much faster resources. That challenge, to a large extent, remains exactly the same. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 
post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, let's get back to the action uh, on the pitch. Thanks to Sai. We're going to continue talking with uh, with David and Andy on the footy that lies ahead. There's a massive game at the weekend in front of us. Liverpool have won three on the bounce. Now, maybe not convincingly won three on the bounce. I think it could have been different. But let's face it, they've got to head into this World Cup break on a high. Yeah, I mean, the way the season's gone, I think we'd take any anything at the moment with me in terms of those, those three wins... Which, whichever way they came, they were they were good wins. Um, but yeah, this this is it, it. Feels like a again a really important game, but for obviously you know I guess different reasons in that you want to to carry a little bit of you continue that momentum that you've sort of built now into that World Cup break. You, you don't want to have another sort of oh moment, which and there's been too many of them this season um, where you've thought Liverpool are on the way to something and then. You know they've been hit by a, a really poor, you know, performance and, and results. And Southampton, you know, I don't know whether Nathan Jones will be in the dugout. I know he's, I think he's now been announced as as a new manager. So that throws a little bit of. He might want to avoid about. this one, mightn't he? <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly. Although you know, he might look at Liverpool's <laughs> results against sort of some of the lower teams in the league and think, oh, here we yeah. go. This is the perfect start for me. Um, it's one of those where you don't quite know what we're going to get from Southampton because, you know, whether they have that, you know, that new manager bounce, which is always talked about, or they're going to have players who are going to, you know, going to want to impress and, and sort of lay down their marker for, for the new manager. And, you know, it, it, it can always make that difference. And Liverpool have just got to be careful that, that, you know, that doesn't play a factor. And, you know, it's just about giving, you know, a couple of players might be coming back and a lot of them will have got a rest for the first time and what will probably feel like forever for some of them by not playing in, in midweek. So, yeah, you just hope that they'll they'll come into it fresh, still on the high from the Tottenham victory, which was which felt really important given the sort of the way the game went and the the sort of I guess backs the wall job that they had to do in the second second half, especially to sort of hold on to the lead. And you know, at home Anfield last game before the World Cup last time we'll see Liverpool play for you know a, a long time. It'll probably feel like by by the time they all come back. So yeah, you know, hopefully they can they can just build on that and and carry that momentum into the break because you just don't want that last day to, to sort of leave that sour taste, which can then, you know, you just you're just not happy for, for the next four or five weeks until until they play again. Rubbish this break, isn't it? Now it could be it could be a momentous day for James Milner. Ollie Kay's written about him. You can see it on the site now. Uh, he's looked at. 20 years of the legend. If he plays in this one, he plays in his 600th top flight appearance. So fourth in the Premier League's uh, list of appearances. Just short of Frank Lampard, 32 games away from Ryan Giggs, 53 off Gareth Barry. What else is there, Andy, to say about James Milner? Not much. I mean, he's been around enough, so I think everyone said as much as he can find. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just just so impressive that, you know, his, his longevity and and still his, his high levels okay he's not he's not always been the, the fan favorite i guess at times and but then he's always you know stood up to that if if there has been any criticism of him and you know come back and then produced performance like he did against manchester city for example to pick one of the, one of the recent ones and he's he's just so reliable you know he's it's such a, an influence in liverpool's dressing room and and one that you can't really replace and and that when he when he does eventually leave liverpool whether that is you know at the end of 
of the season or yeah who knows but um yeah just such an impressive career to to look where you know when he started at 16 and um what he's gone on to achieve at you know the, the various clubs he's been at and and the impact and, and influence he's had at Liverpool is he's, he's played a big part in, in what Jurgen Klopp's built as as a number of sort of those I guess senior pros have but yeah to 20 years 600 games I mean he, even it you know he's, he's timed it pretty well for himself hasn't he as well just to, to hit both those milestones <laughs> pretty much at the same time it's uh, it just feels typical James Milner if you like doesn't it I spend match day with Ian Callaghan quite a lot David so he, he made 857 appearances ridiculous really he was playing 65 games a season barely injured that record will probably never be beaten but he's almost like the modern day Cali isn't he yeah, because, you know, you think about the demands of the game these days as well. And, and you know, players, you know, they, they pick up injuries. It's, you know, the, the hamstrings are, are tight as anything because of the, the, the you know, physical work they have to get through in the, the, this day and age. And the fact that Milner has, has managed to put together this run of appearances is, is just testament to his professionalism. And I know he's, he's spoken in interviews, hasn't he, about the fact that he thinks, you know, not having a drink has, has probably helped him with his longevity and... I think it speaks to sort of his his whole professionalism, really, and the way he pre- approaches the game is that you know his, his body is a temple, and he wants to eke as many as many games, professional games, out of his body as he possibly can. And he's he's had that mindset since he he sort of burst onto the scene as a sixteen year old. And yeah, just the the fact that he also brings that that level of professionalism and sort of imprints it on on other players around him. You know, not just younger players, but fellow professionals of a similar age would be sort of have the mind blown really by how he prepares for games and how he looks after himself and I think that's it's been a huge a huge influence at Liverpool in a, in a period of great success I, I remember when he came in um, on a free transfer for Manchester City almost thinking well you know this is a Manchester City side who've got all the money in the world and they're sweeping up all the trophies and they're letting him go you know for Liverpool is that a great sign that they're, they're picking him up just as, he, as City are willing to let him go and and then he's he's come into Liverpool and won won every trophy available to him, won that Champions League that he never managed to get to Manchester at Manchester City and that Manchester City haven't won since. And you know, just just incredible, really. This this chapter of his his career has just been remarkable, and he's I think he's made more appearances for Liverpool than any other club as well. So he, he will end his career as a very much a Liverpool man, which is which sort of seems remarkable as well. And yeah, he's just just been a, an incredible professional, and and, and the numbers are a testament to that, I suppose. The best bit of Oli Kay's piece is the fact that he's got hold of a Leeds United Academy evaluation. So the actual original one from when he was 12. And he's just got the, he's got the perfect evaluation. One of the lines says, the engine of the team can turn a game instantly. A natural leader. Leeds by example. Absolutely. Good luck to James Miller on what will be his 600th appearance. And hopefully, Andy... It's the reset. Hopefully we win. We get to December the 26th and we are all talking about a proper reset now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think we've been on this podcast a few times, haven't we, and sort of said, can't wait for the World Cup. <laughs> reset um, podcast. <laughs> now, it, it's, it's one of them. Now Liverpool have got momentum, you're almost sort of like, mm, do we actually want it or do we want to sort of try and try and continue this but then let's see what let's see what the weekend brings first I think. but yeah no this is you know this is what we've been talking about this sort of second pre-season if you like that Liverpool will have and you know they've not got loads of players going to the World Cup so that you know Klopp will still have a good base of you know first team players to work with and, and sort of try and continue to to sort of work out what the problems have been and and try and you know fix things tactically and and that training time which has been so you know almost like gold dust if you like to, to start this season given the amount of games and, and the lack of sort of 
the lack of break or, or time to rest or recover. You know that you can just tell that he, you know they're going to use try and use that as, as as much as possible, and and they'll also be able to hopefully welcome back as many of the the players who were carrying sort of injuries um, as possible. Luis, Luis Diaz being been the obvious one. I think Pep Linders mentioned he was sort of started running, which is you know really real positive. I think Jota might be a little bit longer, but even still, you you're getting closer to his his timeline of of coming back. So. It feels like a big moment. It feels like it's going to be a really important sort of once once the players have gone away, had the rest and come back. You know, those sort of two three weeks before the season sort of kicks off again, and you know it'll be a chance for Liverpool to sort of I guess try and start the second half of the season on the front foot, which is what they didn't. Obviously, they, they won the Community Shield, but against Fulham they were you know instant you're on the back foot. You've dropped two points in that first game, and you know hopefully taking the confidence of what will hopefully be a fourth win in a row into a break and then, you know, trying to work work things out on the training pitch and, and come back refreshed and, and sort of ready to go again. Um, knowing that you're sort of you're still in the in in the cups and you've still got something to fight for in the league and you put yourself in a better position because of the last two league results providing you win against Southampton. Hopefully it'll feel fresh, it'll feel different and and we can enjoy the second half of the season, which I don't think we've been able to at all. Uh, bar very fleeting moments so far this season. Yeah, it's going to feel like a long break, isn't it? Look, guys, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Andy Jones, loads of stuff from Andy on the site at the moment. Looks like he's been the, the man covering off a lot of this uh, this story around a possible sale of, of Liverpool. So Klopp on potential Liverpool sale and respecting club values, a different piece of, that Andy's written as well. So check that out. Ollie Kay's written on James Milner, 20 years of a Premier League legend. And there's plenty more on the site as well. Thank you to David Lynch for joining the Red Agenda. Hope everyone's enjoyed listening and we'll be back after, I want to say the final game of the season. It's not the final game of the first half of the season. Uh, We'll be back on Monday. See you then.